Good morning. It is a joy to be here with you. Uh, I'm already wondering how your pastor preaches twice every Sunday and can sing with this group every time. Like, I'm, I'm already going hoarse. Y'all are so blessed with the, the people that are leading you through worshiping Christ in song. Absolutely. Um, I get to go and to a lot of places and preach. I love it, but wow, this is great stuff. And uh, it's wonderful to be here and to see you as you're serving Christ and worshiping Christ here in this Harvest Bible Chapel of West Indianapolis. And uh, neat for me to watch what the Lord is doing here, just prayerfully asking that the Lord would do something like this in Austin, <clears throat> that we would be able to proclaim his great name uh, in a city that is, is very desperate uh, for Christ. And I can't wait to get into the Word of God with you. However, I know there's a huge elephant in the room, a huge one, and it's actually blue. Um, you're, you're wondering, okay, you're, you're a guy from Texas, so like 6.30 tonight, there's some important stuff going on. Like, where do you stand, Brian? We need to know this before we're willing to listen to you. Well, I just want to let you know, got this right here, okay? All right. But here's the deal. As much as you are going to be wound up tonight, and as much as you are going to be focused intently upon this game, and that's great, and I'm for you, right now, I want you to hold your Bibles in the air, hold them up. This is where we are right now, and more exciting than any football game you've ever seen, we're going to study the living Word of God together. So give your attention to God's Word now, and the game will come, I promise. Well, I do have uh, two sweet little boys, Caleb and Nathaniel, um, that I wish could be here with my wonderful wife. But Caleb's five months old, and it was just uh, a couple months ago that Lindsay and I were having a little problem because I got the little monitor deal going in his room, and I got the monitor next to my bed. Well, he would, I just hear him, wow. Piping up, okay, oh, all right. So you know it's the middle of the night. You do the stumbling in there. And I look, and I, hmm, Caleb's asleep. No problem here. I'm not arguing. Go back, and then it would be another night. Hear him crying. Well, I'll wait a little longer. Still crying. Okay, go back into his room. Caleb's asleep. Okay. I'll just wait a little longer next time. So Lindsay and I are having this conversation. It gets to where, you know, we're waiting, waiting a little longer, waiting a little longer. Oh, he'll go back to sleep. Well, he's not going back to sleep. We go in there. He's asleep. What is going on? Finally, this is kind of telling you how dumb I am, but finally realized, oh, there's an A and a B channel on here. We've been listening to the baby downstairs. That wasn't Caleb. He's been sleeping the whole time. That's their kid. That was an easy solution. So, you know, as I, I laughed about that, I, I thought to myself how oftentimes the struggles and the trials that we face, before we get to that point of trial, we think that we're walking by faith. But oftentimes we are walking by sight. We're walking in our circumstances. 
but our circumstances are good, so we feel like we're loving the Lord and we're walking by faith. But the minute that the trial enters into our life, we quickly begin to falter and to stutter and go, man, I don't know what's going on. And you realize, you know what? I thought everything was good, but I was on the wrong channel. I've been walking by sight. And there is a 100% reality, and that is that you have either just come out of a trial in your life, you're currently in a trial in your life, or you're about to enter into a trial in your life. Like, well, thanks for the good news, Brian. Well, it's reality, and we want to address reality from the book of Habakkuk. So if you'll begin turning in your Bibles there, because it does take a while to find for some. They say happiness is sitting next to somebody who knows where the book of Habakkuk is. So check your neighbor and see if you're going to be happy today. If you uh, go to Matthew and then start going to the left, it's easier. Go about four books over and you'll land in Habakkuk. But I want to look at Habakkuk this morning because when we are faced with trials and difficult times, we have really only two options, trust God and walk by faith, trust in our feelings and walk by sight. So my question for you this morning is, what characterizes you? Do you walk by faith and not by sight? Or do you walk by sight and not by faith? Well, how, do, how are we to walk by faith in perilous times? To answer this question, we're going to look at Habakkuk's school of faith, as I call it. Habakkuk's school of faith. Hopefully you're there now. If you'll just quickly look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The last part of verse 4, God speaking says, But the righteous shall live by his faith. This is the key theme of the entire book of Habakkuk, that the righteous, those who are children of God, live by their faith, not by their sight. So this morning what I want to do is I want to give you an understanding of what real faith is. If we're going to walk by faith, then how do I do that? What does it look like? So five things that it looks like. First, if you're taking notes, faith is believing in God's plan. Faith is believing in God's plan. Look back to chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 to you. Follow along. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. See here, the prophet Habakkuk is much like a pastor today. He was responsible for the spiritual state of the people of Israel. And as we just saw in those first verses, the state of Israel is not good. They are in serious rebellion, caught up in all kinds of sin. And, and Habakkuk is coming before God and saying, God, when are you going to step in? When are you going to bring your purifying judgment to get the people of Israel back on track? How long will you continue to let this go? And here, 
we quickly see God's response that his plan is unfolding. And God answers in verse 5, Look, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astonished, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Wow, this is looking pretty good. Be astonished. I'm, I'm about to do something you can't even imagine if I told you. Now, we love those kind of responses to our prayers. Just hold on tight. Something amazing is about to happen. Let's look and see what this thing is that God is going to do that he can't even imagine. Verse 6. Here's the surprise. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Time out. Chaldeans? Who are they? Good question. They're also known as the Babylonians. This is the most wicked country and people on the face of the earth at this time. So here's what's going on. Habakkuk prays, asks God to please bring your cleansing and judgment upon the people of Israel. They are not walking with you. And God says, great, I'm going to do something amazing, something you can't even imagine. He's like, great, Lord. And then God says, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans, the worst people on the face of the earth, to bring my judgment. What? The Chaldeans? And God doesn't go on to explain that the Chaldeans aren't as bad as you think. He actually goes on to reinforce that the Chaldeans are just as bad or worse than Habakkuk thinks. And let me quickly give you some characteristics of them. Verse 7, their status. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Verse 8 is their speed. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. So not only are they just taking people out, but they're not slow about it. They have great speed in doing it. Verse 9, their success. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. Their eyes are just set on the gold, take out nation after nation after nation, and they're not losing. They are adding to their number like the sand. Verse 10, they're scoffing. And at kings they scoff, and at the rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. So they not only are people who are scoffing at other leaders, but the sacrilege of verse 11, as if it couldn't get any worse, after doing all these things, they are boasting in and of themselves and of their own power. They have idolatry. So we look at this. Like, wait, God, something amazing? You're going to do something amazing? Yeah, this is amazing. It's amazingly bad. And yet in our own lives, we're faced with the same problem. That oftentimes we are waiting to see what God will do. And we're praying, Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good. For those who love him and for those who are called according to my purpose. 
That's how we normally translate it, if we even get that far in the verse. But we normally just want to camp out that all things work together for good. The end. All right, great. Move on with my day. We've got to define the word good. Good in what sense? Good how? It's for those who are called according to his purpose. See, if it's about your purpose and it's about your plan, you're going to find that your plans are often, if not most of the time, completely disrupted by his plan. All things don't work together for good according to your plans. All things work together for good when you say, all I want is your plan. You heard that in the testimony this morning. At first, I don't like this. This isn't my plan. And then quickly it goes, wow, I wouldn't want it any other way. I wouldn't want any other way. This is God's plan. But sometimes God's plan does not make sense to us. But faith is believing in God's plan. What things are not working according to your purpose right now? What things aren't going according to your plan? Are you walking by faith? Are you going to walk by his plan? Well, the second thing that we see here is faith is believing in God's character. Faith is believing in God's character. I'm sad to tell you, but I get more people in the church talking to me about, hey, like, can we get like some more practical application going here and, and not so much theology? What is theology? It's the study of God, who God is. What do you mean more application that's more practical? What can be more practical than knowing who God is? Habakkuk doesn't respond this way. Look back at chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So here, Habakkuk, we see that his faith is in the character of God, and it is not in his circumstances. He immediately runs to who God is and begins to call him by different names, one being my rock. But he starts with, are you not from everlasting? In which in the Hebrew there would be an understood emphatic, absolutely I'm from everlasting. And as he begins to think through the character of God, that's where he finds his rest and his comfort, not in his circumstances. Well, look at verses 14 and 15. You made mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Here, Habakkuk gives us an analogy that, God, you have made Israel like the fish of the sea, they're swimming around, they don't have a ruler to protect them, and then you're allowing the Chaldeans, the Babylonians to come in, and they drag their dragnets to scoop us up, they throw their hooks in to pull us out. What is this? How long will you let this continue? How can this be? God, I don't get it. And the worst part is, Lord, they're not doing it in your name. They rejoice and boast in themselves. God, I just don't get it. 
Then verse 16 and 17, therefore he, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his nets and mercilessly killing nations forever? God, is this just going to continue on and on? Will you stop these mad people? Well, Habakkuk's not avoiding the reality that's in front of him. He's faced with a difficult circumstance. But as he runs to God's character, and then he begins to dwell on the, what's going on in his life, he's admitting before God, God, I'm not, I'm not turning from you. My faith is in you. I know your character, but it's not lining up with what's going on. I don't really understand it. I'll tell you something I didn't understand and still don't. Algebra. In high school, I actually got a 69 isn't that dirty? A 69 in Algebra 2. But I deserved it. But here's, here's what I did know. I did know that if you have an equation and an equal sign, that whatever that number was on the other side, somehow this added up to equal that. I don't know how you get there, but I know that's the case. And if I'm wrong, just play with me, okay? <laughs> so there were times, you know, we, we start out Algebra 1, and I got 3 plus x equals 7. Like, yeah, like 4? Four? 4? Four? Yeah, 4. Cool, I can do that. But then there were times where it was 3 plus x divided mc squared over. And I'm like, whoa, I don't know what's going on here. This doesn't make sense. But even when that didn't make sense, I still knew one thing. If you do something with this side, somehow it equals that. Let me tell you, when it comes to walking with God and walking by faith, there's one thing you always know. God's character will never change. God can be trusted in. And sometimes you're going to have situations in your life that are simply, you line it up and you're like, okay, this is happening, this is happening, and I, I'm seeing it. I see what God's doing. But there's other times that you're going to be like me in math class and you're looking at what's going on and God, I don't see anything good coming out of this. I can't imagine how you're working this according to your purpose. It just doesn't make sense. But I do know one thing. I trust in your character. I love you. And I'm just going to follow by faith. Some of you are in that situation right now. You're faced with health issues, with family problems, marriage problems. You don't understand, Brian. There's no way that this can be good. There's no way that God's purpose can be brought about in this. Yes, there is. Don't look at your circumstances. Look to God. Look to his character. I call this situational theology when your God ebbs and flows with your circumstances. You don't want situational theology. You want a theology that defines your situations. So if you're going to do that, you need to be studying the character of God. And this church will never exhaust the character of God if you preach on it every Sunday from now until Christ comes back. But let me give you just a few things. Write these scripture references down because here's just a handful of things that you can be meditating on as you enter perilous times. Here's one, Numbers 23, 19. God cannot lie. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God says that he's merciful, he's gracious, He's slow to anger, and he's abounding in loving kindness and truth. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. 
He disciplines those he loves. Hebrews 18, 8. He is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Joshua 1, 9. That God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's always with you. He is omnipresent. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and what? He'll direct your path. Don't, don't acknowledge all your circumstances. You put your focus on Christ and his character, and he will direct your path. Well, look at chapter 2, verse 1. I will make my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. This verse right here is what just made me fall in love with the book of Habakkuk. Here you have a man who says, I don't understand the character of God and how it equals what's about to come and what's going on in my circumstances, but I will remain steadfast in his character. But I'm going to stand on the watchtower and I am going to wait for God to come and answer me and help me to understand what is going on. But I know that he will correct me. I know that he is right. See, when you have these hard times, don't you ever go to God and start accusing him of being wrong and accusing him of what he's doing. But you can go before him and be honest and say, God, I know you're right, but I don't see it. Help me to see it. Because there's one thing I know. You're right. And that's exactly what Habakkuk does. So I ask you, are you walking by faith in God's plan? And are you walking by faith in his character? Here's the third thing. Faith is believing in God's timing. God's timing. God does respond to Habakkuk after he stands up on the watchtower and we we see that in verses uh, 2 and pretty much the rest of chapter 2. But what I want to do is take you briefly through and give you the overview of what God says. He pretty much says, I see the Chaldeans. I know what they're doing. They won't get away with it. I will judge it and wipe them out. So here's my summary. First, for the extortion, they will be plundered, verses 6 through 8 of chapter 2. For their self-exaltation... They will be self-destructed, 9 through 11. For their tyrannical oppression, their labor will be burned up, verses 12 through 14. For their exploitation of the weak nations, they will be shamed, verses 15 to 17. For their idolatry, they will be silenced, verses 18 through 20. So God makes very clear that he is going to bring judgment upon the Chaldeans, the people of Babylon, but look now at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. This is how it starts. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Here's what you need to understand is that God's timing is perfect. And even though you may think he's delayed, God is never late. 
God is never early. He is always right on time. He's never late. He's never early. But I promise you, he's on time every time. It was a hundred years later that Babylon was judged, but God did do it. And in your mind, you may be thinking to yourself right now, as you pray to God, you maybe you've been praying for weeks, months, even years and decades for God to do something, and you're praying, God, if you will just change my husband now, if you'll do it now, then this and this and this will work out. God, if you will just bring my child to repentance in their rebellion, it will save them from this and this and this and this that I don't want them to face. God, if you will just do this now, if you will just do this now, we have it all mapped out as we think it needs to go. And I'm telling you, you must believe that his timing is perfect. See, God's purpose back to Romans 8:28 is far beyond your lifetime. Sometimes what God is doing in and through your situation and the reason the formula is not adding up in your mind is because it goes way beyond your lifetime. Here we see that with Habakkuk. What God was going to do was going to be well beyond the life of Habakkuk. I had a pastor as we worked in college ministry. Uh, when I was a young child, my parents worked in college ministry, and we went away on this retreat. And the pastor decides we're going to do an outdoor meeting, and we're gonna, uh, he's going to teach on Elijah and calling down fire from heaven. So he's made this little fire pit. Nobody knows this is supposed to be coming. There's no fire there, but he's run a fuse thing all the way, way up the hill, and there's a guy hiding up there. He's going to light this thing when it's time. And the pastor's preaching along, preaching, just bringing the story of Elijah. The problem is, the guy up there couldn't hear him real well. And as he's playing the part of the men calling on Baal to bring fire, he says, bring fire! Boom! Wrong timing. Wrong timing. There's already a fire. Don't know how to get out of that illustration. But it made me think to myself, how bad would things be if everything went according to our timing? I'm telling you, it scares me to death. I have a hard time just getting to where I need to be on time, much less figuring out when everything needs to happen in this planet. God created it. He has perfect timing. Trust in it. Are you walking by faith in God's plan and his character and in his timing today? The fourth thing you need to know about faith is faith is believing in God's faithfulness. It's believing in his faithfulness. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shiganoth, which is just a type of accompaniment of the song. So he's putting this prayer to a song. Verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Then in verses 3 and 4, as he's praying this out, 
he begins to take his mind to the majesty of who God is. Verse 3, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. What Habakkuk is doing here is he's looking back to the, to the history of Israel and all that God has done as he has revealed himself and his majesty. And then further down in verse 11, the sun, the moon stood still in their place and the light of the arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. What is this? This is Joshua ten twelve, where Joshua and the Israelites go to fight the Amorites and God is winning the battle for Israel. Not one Israelite has died, and they are just conquering all the Amorites. But the sun's coming down. And Joshua says, God, can you give us more daylight so we can finish this thing out? And it says that God made the sun stand still. So here's Habakkuk, remembering all that God had done for Israel. Then in verse 15, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters, this is the Red Sea as the Israelites are fleeing and the armies are coming behind them and the Red Sea, they're trapped. Where do we go? And the Red Sea parts, it's open and they walk through. So Habakkuk, what's he doing here? He's just remembering God, who you are, who you revealed yourself to be and what you have always done in proving yourself faithful. We must be the same. We must be the same when we look at our lives that sometimes we've got to look back at all that God has done and proving his faithfulness. Say, God, if you've been faithful my whole life and you were faithful in my parents' life and you were faithful through the New Testament and you were faithful through all the way, you've been faithful forever. You'll continue to be faithful in the future because you won't change. I was talking to a man who used to be in the Navy and he was talking about with aircraft carriers because they're so huge that when they're way out at sea and all you can see is the horizon, no land, the ship can be turning pretty drastically and if you're looking out the front, you have no clue. You have no clue that the ship's even turning. You have nothing to measure it off of. But if you go to the back of the ship and you look back, you can very quickly see where you're headed and what the ship's doing. Why? Because there's a huge wake back there. And the water that has been churned up in the wake immediately shows where you're headed. And some of us this morning, you just need to stop. Say, God, flood my mind with all the times of faithfulness that you have done in the past. And give me the confidence that you will be faithful in the future as I know you will because it's in your character. Are you walking by faith in God's plan in his character, in his timing, and in his faithfulness this morning? Well, the last thing, fifth, faith is believing in God's superiority. Faith is believing in God's superiority. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon me, on the people who invade us. See, Habakkuk's not callous to what's about to take place. 
And don't hear what I'm not saying this morning, that I'm promising you, if you have faith in God, that you are going to escape problems in this lifetime. I'm actually telling you the opposite. Scripture promises that if you are a child of God, you can guarantee suffering. If you're not suffering ever, you need to ask yourself, are you a child of God? Here's what I am telling you, that even in your circumstances, though they be difficult, and though you are not callous, even as Habakkuk was not callous, his knees trembled. He felt as if he was rotting inside by the pain of what was to come. At the end, he quietly was able to wait. In all the pain, he knew that God would strengthen him, and he knew that God was superior. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Okay, that's bad. Most of you probably aren't into agriculture, but that's all Israel was. When he says that basically all the crops are going to be destroyed. Why? Because of war. The war with the Chaldeans. All this is going to be wiped out. We're going to have no food. That's what we live on. Not only monetarily, but we need food to eat too. And the animals we have are going to be destroyed. We are going to have nothing. It's pretty bad. What are you going to do, Habakkuk? Verse 18. Yet... Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. See, Israel would lose everything, but God is superior. He is superior in that he brings us salvation. And if you are here this morning, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, as it said in chapter 2, verse 4, that the righteous live by faith. We live in faith because God has saved us. And if he has saved you, then you have everything to look forward to. And whatever is going on in your life right now, I could give a laundry list of a hundred different things that are going on, and I might get some of you, but it would still leave some of you out. I'm sure there is a lot of pain and suffering going on. But one thing I know is God's character and I know that he saved me. And I know that I'm going to spend eternity with a glorious, majestic, holy, and wonderful God. And if he ordains suffering in my life, even if the suffering I'm currently in lasts until I die, maybe that's a hundred more years. He is supremely greater. He is supremely more wonderful. And Paul tells us that he's going to take us from this lowly state and he's going to conform us, transform us into Christ's glorious state. That we're going to have these sinful, wretched bodies that fill sickness and disease and one day we're going to have his glorious body that is perfect and without blemish. How was that possible? Because Jesus did the opposite. He went from his glorious state and he came down to a humble 
lowly state so that you would have the opportunity to go from your lowly state to his glorious state. If you know Jesus Christ, be comforted that whatever you're going through right now, it is nothing compared to how great God is. And if you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, I can only implore you, today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, look back at chapter 2, verse 4. You will be like the Chaldean. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And you know what that leads to? Destruction. You will be destroyed. But there's good news. The last half of verse 4. You can become righteous, not on your own, but through faith in Christ. Why? Because the Son of God came to earth and he lived the perfect life that you can never live on your own. And he's already died the death that you deserve to die. And if you embrace him as your Savior and you put your faith in him, you will be like Habakkuk here, that no matter what my circumstances, God, I know that you are greater, and I rejoice in that. Verse 19, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. What's he talking about? He says, just as sure-footed as the deer is, as it launches up the mountain to get to the peak, so are those who put their faith in God. Why? Because he will give you, the strength that you need to endure whatever trial has come your way. And you can know that no matter what happens in the meantime, one day you are going to end up at the pinnacle of the mountain because Christ has already won the victory over sin, over hell, death, the grave. Everything has been conquered under Jesus Christ. And if your faith's in him, nothing but glorious realities await you regardless of your current circumstances. Are you walking by faith in God's plan, his character, his timing, his faithfulness, and his superiority? See, inner peace does not depend on outward prosperity. If you are putting your trust in your circumstances and what you can build for yourself here, you're going to be full of disappointment and ultimately destruction. Your church took up a special offering with the other Harvest Bible chapels to give to the people of Haiti. And I was thankful to be able to help with uh, getting the team and getting them out and a lot of the logistics of that. And there was one thing that just really, when the team got back and I hear the reports and I watch some video, that, gosh, that was so worth it. There's a pastor he has a seminary. He's preaching on the first, second floor. His wife's preaching on the second floor, or teaching the students. The earthquake hits. The first floor immediately collapses on the second one, where his wife and all the students are killed instantly. His home crumbled to the ground. His church building, gone. Now you have a man who has no wife. His church building is gone and his job is gone because the school is gone and most of the students are gone. And when our team found him, they found a man with a big smile 
who was living in the corner of the basketball court with a little tarp over his head and his four kids under the age of seven. As they interviewed him, my soul rejoiced, but at the same time it sunk with conviction. As they asked this man the question and big smile, how is it that you're able to stay joyful through all this? He says, my joy comes from the Lord. And his smile got even bigger. Where's your joy coming from? Because if your joy is coming from anything other than Christ, if your faith is in anything other than Christ, it is not a real joy, and it's definitely not a joy that will last. Listen, God can use anyone, anywhere, anytime he wants to accomplish anything he wants, and he will. My hope is that your faith will be so solid and secure in him that you will be about his purposes in your life, in your family's life, and those around you, that they will be able to see what it means to truly have faith in God as Habakkuk did, even in perilous times. Pray with me. God, you are a superior God, and there is no one like you. There is no other name that is like your name. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I pray that this morning you would take the circumstances that are plaguing people's minds here that maybe even last night they weren't able to sleep because of everything that's happening in their lives. And Lord, that your beauty and your glory would so fill their hearts and minds at this very moment that it would make minuscule the extreme circumstances that are going on. God, we don't want to belittle what's happening in anybody's life, but we do want to make you infinitely greater than any problem. We love you. We thank you for Christ that allows us to make it through any trial, for it's in him and him alone that we can rejoice, and it's in his name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.